Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and joining me today is Mr. Sam Sy, the Rank God. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. It's your last pod for a little while, Dean. We're going to be missing you. You're going yeah, on a couple holidays. of months. A couple of months. Yeah. I'll see you <laughs> see Christmas you. time. I'll see you for a while. Yeah. Just back for the Christmas special, eh? Back for Christmas special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going to go to um, California. I told you it was two weeks. It's two months. <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's been it's been a scary moment we would drop that on us right now so we'll uh, we'll deal with that we've got some uh well we've got some some substitutes coming in while you're away dean we've got oh, some uh, some very special guests to bring to the rank squad to uh to step in 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 your hallowed in your hallowed spot really um to, to take on what is an incredible job you do so um we've got some big names coming in we're very excited about it but um we we do hope that you have a wonderful time away well i'll try and listen in and see who it was because yeah, i don't know um, i genuinely don't know you don't know um yeah, we were and plotting we yesterday that- plotting weren't we jack yeah, well, we hope that Dean's going to go and see some of the rank squad when he's in America. If they come to here, I don't expect him yeah, to travel. Few, no, with I'm not going to go kids. looking for them. But um, <laughs> a few people have me- a few people have message. Couple offering uh, to take me out for pizza. Um, couple saying they might be at that LAFC game I'm going to next week. So um, yeah, there's a good chance. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, you can uh, you can get our new stickers and, and help them. Get, you can, they can help you give yeah, them out. Yeah, I'm going to take stickers on. I stick them around LA. Um, presume I'll just wear this rank squad shirt every day as well. Just promote for the best. promote it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're looking forward to uh, this new guerrilla marketing drive from Dean Jones in LA. Um, today's main ranking, Sam, is a little bit off piste. I'm, I'm I'm really excited about it actually. But it's about players who we didn't maybe foresee having such a major role, who we now think might have big big parts to play in their respective club seasons this year yeah not talking about transfer signings here I think we're talking about like actual like player turnarounds like remontadas if you will players who have been on the books at these clubs for a while maybe loaned out or something like that or, or seemed like they were on the uh, the periphery of their manager's thoughts and all of a sudden you know they're, they're starting they're playing they're playing very well they've become quite important and we think this will probably carry on as well so I've picked out five players from a shortlist again of about 10 wasn't it we had a little look yesterday uh, mm. And yeah, um, hopefully you'll enjoy it. I can't wait to hear you talking about John Michael Seri, to be perfectly honest with nope. you. Um, nope. That's, uh, that's where I'm, nope. That's where I'm excited to hear. And right before we get on to that, it's time for Things We Love. And Sam, you could start us off. Okay, so just one player of Barcelona affiliation had a good night on Monday as they drew 1-1 with the mighty Granada. And that is Ronald Araujo. And not only did he score the equalising goal in stoppage time, which rescued a point for Barca, but he'd been like quite clearly the very best player on the pitch by a distance throughout the game. At he actually ended ends. up having yeah, he actually ended up having five shots, five shots. <laughs> he's a centre back. Five shots on goal. The last one went in. The one he had just before half time forced an unreal save from Luis Maximiano, um, and he defended superbly as well. He's got like this combination of size and speed and technique that allows him to dominate in 1v1 situations, dominate 1v1 tackling, very good recovery, can play a nice high line. He's he's excellent. He, he really is excellent. In fact, we got to the point last night where it became very clear that he is 
by far Barcelona's best centre back. Like, oh yeah, by an absolute distance. And it's starting to make the others look a little bit bad because he's 22. He's in his second season of senior European first team football, and he's still got loads of room to grow and loads of improving to do of his own. And he's already so much better than the others now. Look, as a Granada fan, it hurts when someone like that scores a last-minute goal against you and takes three points away from you. I'm not going to lie, that hurts. But I can't. I felt a little bit like that scene in Anchorman when Ron Burgundy comes home and his dog Baxter has eaten an entire wheel of cheese, and he just goes, "I'm not even mad. That's amazing." And that's kind of how I felt about about Big Ronald here because I think he's awesome and I love him and he played so well as well. I was just like, oh, if anyone was going to score it and it did feel like it was coming, it might as well have been Araujo, but I think he is unreal. I couldn't even find it within me to be mad that he'd scored that goal that stopped us from getting three points and look, partially, bit of a saving grace for Barcelona because they were shambolic on Monday night. Yeah, it doesn't look great from a Barcelona perspective. And he was, as you say, the only real bright spark from quite a dark evening. There was a couple of young players playing. I suppose it was a relatively young back line across the whole the whole thing. We saw, obviously, some of the the exciting youngsters in the middle. Obviously, Gavi came on. We saw Ricky Puj get his first minutes in a Barcelona yep. shirt this year. But these were all kind of small victories in quite a dark evening. And... Arujo was basically the only one who really stood up and was like, this is, you, you've been, he was the best player in the park, as you say, would have been man of the match, even if Barcelona had lost 1-0. And then that's yeah. a bizarre thing to say for a centre-back. Um, there was a moment where in, you know, chasing the winner after he'd scored, uh, he went steaming down the right wing, you know, knocked it around a defender, absolutely like flung himself after it and threw in probably the best of the 54 crosses that Barcelona <laughs> chucked into the box that day. Um, and it took an, excellent intervention to stop Gerard Piquet somehow scoring a winner, which would have been yeah. brutally undeserved, frankly, and would have been very, very harsh on Granado, who were relatively solid, if slightly uninspiring, um, over the course of, of, of the whole game. So, I mean, I suppose where it leaves us as a discussion is, you know, how do you solve a problem like Barcelona? And there's been reports this morning, Dean, that Ronald Kerman is on his way out, or at least it looks like the Barcelona board, according to these reports, have decided that, you know, whenever it comes, a change is going to be made. Yeah, it seems the case. Yeah, as we record this on Tuesday morning, it, it's um, started to leak that um, Barca have decided they need a new boss and it's going to be a case of days or weeks before they determine who is going to be the guy that can replace him, um, which is weird if you're Kuman to be hearing that today um but it's part and parcel of being a football manager and failing to um well achieve what you should be achieving with, with a squad and a, a club that size um I don't think it's a great surprise I think Coman's had this coming for quite a long time um but replacing him that doesn't mean it's easy just because he hasn't done a great job there doesn't mean it's easy to replace him so you know, there's a long list of, of names that are being touted as potentials to come in for him from Andre Pirlo to Xavi to um, Philip Koku Koku to um, Roberto Martinez, Mikel Arteta. Um, and you've got, a, you've got a candidate you like yourself, don't you, that we've, we've been speaking about this morning separately, actually, from this. 
Yeah, we've done a whole YouTube video on who should maybe be the next Barcelona boss if they are going to make this change. We're going to discuss all of this basically in, in more depth there. So it's on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to go and check that out and see the, you know, the deep dive on what's going wrong at Barcelona. And I think maybe the, the top line is that it's not all Kerman's fault, but he's basically not doing anything to help himself at the same time. And yeah. I think maybe what's made a lot of people angry is the refusal to take any blame upon himself and the continued press quotes that are like, what do you expect us to do? Play tiki taka? Well, yeah. Yeah, that, that is, I think that is what people expect you to do, mate. Like that is exactly what people are looking for. And, you know, Laporta has, has come in here and he's overseen an incredibly difficult summer. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think his plenty of blame can be partitioned to, to Joanne Laporta uh, after after what's happened this summer. Plenty of blame can be, you know, also a partition to his predecessor, Bartomeu, who has put the club in, in such a diabolical financial situation that they are basically physically unable to do things. But then Ronald Kerman is like, oh, what I want to do is stick PK and Luke de Jong up front and swing 55 crosses in against Granada. It's just not really the vibe um, that I think anybody is looking for. And therefore, you can see why Barcelona might look to enact such a change. But it does make it kind of hard because, Sam, it feels probably like the most poisoned chalice in football right now. I wouldn't go near it. Me personally. You would. If they offered you the job tomorrow, you'd take it. I don't know. I like my current football club. Thank you very much. Ranks <laughs> FC is the one for me. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a, they're in disarray. The post-Messi year, the one after Messi, is obviously going to be really, really difficult for a lot of different reasons. And it's kind of, it kind of feels like almost like, they, remember that, that post-Wenger year where they were going to have to take a full guy or something or someone was going to have to step in and be the guy that kind of just like fails. <laughs> ultimately that you're just going to fail aren't you it's not going to work um, but the squad depth isn't there loads of players are injured Ansu Fati needs to be eased back there's crippling debt there's expectation in the in the stands yes you're, they're supposed to have measured it and 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 sort of like tempered those expectations a little yeah. bit but have have they like it's Barcelona like yes they might have done a little bit but nowhere near enough considering where they are and that's okay as a fan like as a, of Barcelona you're you're entitled to expect but whoever steps into this is going to get, I think they're going to get crushed by just all like all different things flying off the cliff. So I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested in the job. Um, just to be very clear. Okay. Uh, we'll pass that message on to Jean Laporta to make did sure he, message? he doesn't include you. Yeah, did, did just he? a little bit. It was a, it was a small, I think it was more of a kind of seeing if there was any interest rather than it was just sounding out. I'm not surprised, but I know, I know, I'm not interested. Well, uh, we broke down some of the candidates uh, and where they stand in our mini rankings, should we say, of how they might fare at Barcelona. And the, the, the obvious answer is none of them are going to do particularly well, given the situation. Um, but it's over on YouTube. Go and check out our YouTube channel, Ranks FC, on there. Um, and we, there's all the bits and bobs about Barcelona. And with that, Dean, we'll move to your thing we love. So I went to Fulham at the weekend and there wasn't much to love, to be honest. No. Um, but there was one thing. I got to see Danny Drinkwater play football. And no that's way. a rarity. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like a rare sighting of Danny Drinkwater. And there he was on a football pitch playing in an actual football match. Um, crazy, really. And something I definitely didn't expect to see that day. I thought I was going to see a straightforward Fulham win. And no, I see a Fulham defeat and Danny Drinkwater. So there you go. Um, quite nice to see him. Uh, he came on unexpectedly as an early sub because quite well, quite got, early, yeah, yeah, came on after twenty minutes. Now, obviously, look, he, 
George, just to refresh everyone's memories on who Danny Drinkwater is, he was a he's a Premier League champion. He won the league with Leicester and then he joined Chelsea um, in September 2017 for £35 million. Um, at the time, like it was, he'd obviously had a fantastic season with Leicester. All of their players were being touted for moves at the time. And it hasn't worked out. I mean, he, he played 23 times for Chelsea. He hasn't actually played for them since 2018. Um, and he's obviously had a few loan spells since then. And well, it hasn't gone well for him. I mean, the re- main reasons he's been in the headlines are that when, when he was at Burnley, he, he headbutted someone in a bar. And when he was at Aston Villa, he headbutted one of his teammates. Like, that's been about the, um, the extent of, of what we've seen from him. But do you know what? He played quite well. He played quite well. Um, and it was obviously like I wasn't super pumped to see Danny Drinkwater having a good game against a Fulham team that was struggling to break Reading down. But yeah, I mean, he, he kept it simple for sure. But you could see that class and that quality in there. And, you know, like you do want to see people bounce back. And he's obviously had a really tough time. Um, he's given an interview actually since and, he, and he's, He's asked about like, can can you paint a picture of what it's been like? And he said, no, it's been a shambles. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, I, I just need to get things back on track now. Um, in the last year of my contract, there's a lot riding on this year. Um, I just got to hope things work out for me. And yeah, it is a big year, and I, I hope I hope it does go well for him. I really do because we know what a brilliant footballer he was as at Leicester, and you know the the type of how influential he was in that title win and I'd love to see him bounce back from it so yeah a bad day for me watching Fulham but very nice to see Danny Drinkwater back in action yeah that that interview he gave with the Telegraph was incredibly heartfelt wasn't it it was it was a real kind of oh okay things are really tough and things have been really tough and you know it was it wasn't nice to read no because you imagine the footballers you know they they get paid a lot of money and you think no matter what they're going through it'll be okay because they've got loads of money in their bank account but not the case, is it? You know, a lot of people have all sorts of issues, no matter what what their bank account says. And um, yeah, I, I hope he's back to his best soon. Yeah, I mean, good luck to him, as long as it's not against Fulham next time. Yeah, I hope um, he doesn't I'm play next time. I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Um, right, I'll take us on to our last thing we love, uh, which is going to be Napoli, um, who are now the last perfect team in Serie A um, after the weekend where Roma fell to defeat at Hellas Verona and Milan drew with Juventus. Uh, Napoli won 4-0 last night, and well, most people in the world were watching Barcelona against Granada. I was decided to, to dual screen these. Um, and I watched Napoli absolutely take Udinese to the cleaners. Now, Udinese had an excellent start themselves. They drew with Juventus in the first week. Uh, then they beat Venezia. And then they beat Spezia. And then they came up against Napoli, knowing that a win would actually send Udinese top of the table, which would have been a Bianconero on top of Serie A that perhaps a lot of people weren't expecting hmm. uh, in week four. Uh, but Napoli swept them aside with you know relative ease, frankly. Um, and the pick of the goals was the most delightful set-piece routine. Oh, straight off the training ground. Uh, Insigne drops it short. It goes in behind to be headed across. Uh, and then Ramani heads it home. And it is just one of the... The best things I've seen in ages, a perfectly executed off the training gown set piece uh, routine, which was, you know, really, really enjoyable. And Napoli look like a lot of fun. 
couple of weeks ago, we did our five by fives um, and Napoli was sort of here and there in there. And, and I think a lot of people were not particularly convinced with the summer. You know, it was a relatively easy start. The, the win over Juventus was a big win, obviously. Um, but you look at that game and you look at how it transpired and how it played out and it wasn't comfortable winning. It wasn't suddenly like Napoli were like, everybody's the business and we're fine. Um, they signed Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa on the last day of the transfer window, which felt like a big move and it feels like it adds a real steal to that midfield. It adds some real carrying ability. I don't think I've seen many players ever in the flesh who can carry the ball as well as Anguisa can when when he's on it. Um, and I think that he's going to tear Serie A apart. But I was a little bit underwhelmed with the window. I was a little bit underwhelmed with Spalletti, to be honest. But I was thinking about it last night and I decided that in a season where there is so much transition going on, there is so much ebb and flow in all of the contending teams. We're seeing the return of Allegri at Juventus, but also the fact that they're coming to terms with a new era without Cristiano Ronaldo. We're seeing a Jose Mourinho era at Roma, which I think is going to be successful, but obviously has the potential to be incredibly volatile. We're seeing Inter looking very, very good, but also who have lost Lukaku, who have lost Conte, who have lost Hakimi. We're looking at Milan side with, you know, a, a strike force with a combined age of 80 million. Um, and, and I think with all of these things in, in place, there's a lot going on in Serie A to look at it and, and think, okay, this is new. And maybe just an experienced head at the helm and a very settled squad is something that will play really heavily into Napoli's hands. Um, and if they play like they did last night, then nobody is going to want to play them. And it's exciting times at the Diego Armando Maradona. So, um, yeah, uh, Napoli very much worth keeping an eye on. They look, they look like a lot of fun. They fought back in the Europa League midweek against Leicester to draw two all. Um, and they've just had a, a very good start to the season. And uh, they're, they're really enjoyable to watch. So in a game where, you know, we were seeing the, the battle of attrition between Barcelona and Granada on one screen, Napoli's free-flowing style where they just basically scored at will was a, was a lovely antidote on the other. So shouts out to Napoli. They're my thing I love this weekend. Right oh. after the break, we are going to be doing our main ranking. And Sam's going to be looking at players who were surprised packages to have a big season this year. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our big ranking. Sam, floor's yours. Sure. Okay. So, surprise players set for big seasons. And the way I have ranked them is, depending on how surprised I think I would have been by this development, had I taken a time machine and told myself about it back in June. So, go back in time. Sam. June version of Sam. This player is playing an absolutely massive role for this club. Then look at my face. How shocked am I? One to ten. Rank them. That's exact the exact science that has gone into the the order of these players. You like it? Excellent. I, I like it a lot. I'm excited. I want I, you to give me that out of ten ranking as well for every player <laughs> as to how shocked you'd be and potentially also like a the face so I can see it. <laughs> I won't give you the face, but uh, I can give you a rating for sure. I mean, we're going to start high because these are all very surprising. That's the whole point of it, right? And at number five, I'm going to take Sandro Tonali, central midfielder for AC Milan. This is about a seven out of 10 on the shock scale. Uh, no doubt about it for me, Tonali's playing the best football of his entire life. And watching him at the moment is a genuinely like satisfying experience. And I think, I've been thinking about why that is, and I've brought it down to I think for the first time since signing for Milan, 
he looks comfortable in his own skin. Like I felt a bit sorry for him last year. Big expectation, big potential, bright spotlight. Milan were going places. Tonali was a Milan boy. He chose Milan over a couple of other destinations and it was, you know, revered as a homecoming transfer, one that we loved. And it didn't really go to plan early on. He sort of played, I think he played within himself. I think he was quite nervous. I don't think he ever looked particularly relaxed. And most of his Milan performances last season, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but they're pretty underwhelming. He just mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't that good. And I don't think there was a lot of faith in him from the management either. And I think that was probably a factor in them going out in January and going and signing Mete on loan, you know, just to cover for the competitions they had, because I'm not 100% sure that they were looking at Tonali as a man who they felt that they could rely on. Um, it was a funny one, wasn't it? And we, we spoke about it a little bit earlier in, in the season in that Milan fans were so desperate for him to succeed that every time he did something good, the hyperbole went through the roof. Yeah. It was like, oh, Tonali's been the player of the, you know, he's been the best player on the pitch today. And then he hasn't. He's, you know, he's still getting to terms with the, yes, he's doing some good things. He's also still doing some bad things. And that kind of desire to watch a player succeed, especially one who supports the club, right? And has openly talked about how he's now playing for the club. He loved growing up. And all of those things as a fan make you want him to succeed more and more and more. But it also meant that it was really hard to get an actual gauge on how Tanali mm. was doing because everything he did that was good got blown through the absolute ceiling. And everything that he did that was bad got kind of brushed under the carpet. And therefore, it was a bit of an odd dichotomy. But this season, it just feels like he's so much more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I, I genuinely believe this has kind of come from, well, I don't say nowhere, but I, I, there were no clues to this. Like, even going into the summer, the under-21 Euros, he was dreadful at the under-21 Euros. Like, he was the big name in a big team. It's Italy. The opponents knew it. They double-marked him. They pressed him. They wound him up. He ended up getting red-carded in the group stage after a terrible performance where he was clearly very frustrated with himself. Again, battling against that, maybe his own expectation of himself, maybe expectations from others or whatever it is. It wasn't It wasn't all clear and conscious in his mind. And I provide all that context because the leap he has made early this season has been amazing. And I can, I can honestly barely believe it. Now, I've put this fifth because... Tonali's a player. We all know that. Like, we know that he was going to figure it out eventually. But there were no clues that he would be like, bang, start the season, we're good. He's pushed Benacer out the team. Benacer is excellent. And yeah. now Pioli probably, goes. He to, was probably Milan's best player last year. And now Pioli goes to Kessi and Tonali as the first choice central midfield pairing, not Kessi and Benacer in the pivot, which is a huge compliment to Tonali. And you watch him play, and he's now playing with a real intensity. He's playing with a real authority. He's confident. He's comfortable. You watch him you know, dominate in midfield alongside Benessa and Kessi um, in Turin at the weekend, you know, away to Juventus. And he, he looks totally, totally at home. He's retaining the ball under pressure. He's playing smart passes. He's playing smart passes now where last year he'd give the ball away. That's, that's the major difference. I think that happened quite a lot at 21. Um, I remember Gary Neville talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and how... You know, they've been just gone through a season and, and Ronaldo, you could see how good he was. But Gary Neville said, I was genuinely fed up of playing with him. Like, he just didn't listen. He was constantly trying things that weren't working. He, It was just frustrating to play alongside him. And then suddenly you appeared in the dressing room with him after a summer and he looked, felt like a completely different person because he'd matured. Um, and it often is at 21 that, that players come back from, from a summer break and into a new season and, and they get 
they seem like that new person and they, they have that extra maturity and they've had time to reflect on a big season because it, you know, around you know, that kind of 19, 20, it's a big breakthrough and you've got a lot to deal with in terms of expectation, but also becoming a man. And I think that Tonali has had to come through that. And, you know, in that Juve game, he's up against Locatelli, who's a couple of years older than him. Um, but Locatelli, you know, he had a lot of hype around him too. People probably consider him to be further along than, than Tonali. Um, Mature-wise. Plus, plus there's the whole he got let go of my Milan thing, right? There's that narrative yeah. to add into the situation. And Tonali won the battle, right? Um, yeah. So you know, it, it's a big moment for him in, in that sense. And I think it's a big season and one in which, yeah, we're surprised right now because we didn't quite see it coming. But this is what great players do, that they, they go through tough moments, but they are they come through them fine because they've always have complete belief in their ability and their way of playing football. Which is why I assume you have him at five, Sam, right? Because there was always this potential to explode. We just, the reason he's in this list at all is because it didn't feel like it was going to happen just so soon. And and, and I think your Benacer point is the, is maybe the key here, right? To, to knock Benacer out of the side, given how good he was last year, given how important he was to Milan last year, is a real statement. Yeah, the, the, the correlation was when Benacer plays, Milan win. And when he dipped out from due to injury early this year, so January, February-ish, they, they, they really struggled to get some results without Benesson. I, I don't think he was there because oh, over the course of the context of the whole season, he wasn't their best player. Like it was going to be someone like Kessie or, or, or even Donnarumma or, or, or Kaier. But yeah, I mean, they didn't, they, did, they didn't tend to get results without Benesson. They really struggled to do so. And now, well, they're unbeaten and they've got three wins and a draw, the draw coming away to Juventus. And Benacer has not really been a part of the team. So well done to Tonali. Hmm. Excellent. Okay, let's go on to number four, shall we? Right, number four is an old face of uh, an old face and an old friend of ours. Uh, it is Felipe Coutinho, who I was um, politely reminded last night, Monday night, exists. Um, he was named in the Barcelona starting eleven against Granada, and my reaction was, "Huh, Coutinho, I remember him." <laughs> So, first of all, that's that's tragic, isn't it? That is just tragic. You know, yeah. Coutinho, 29 Not years of age. as tragic as that penalty he tried to win. Yeah, right, we don't talk about that. But um, <laughs> it did, he's 29, right? And it's not that long ago that he was at his absolute peak, maybe three years ago. And at his absolute peak, Coutinho was basically Joy. an elite footballer or, or, a, or a fringe elite level footballer. And I know he's been injured. And I know Bass has been a, a total disaster for him. But for me to actually just forget about him is really bad. It's really, really bad. And I'm sure that Barca fans are like, well, we didn't forget about him because he's mentioned in reports every day about trying to shift him and sell him and injuries and all that. But the lay fan, the, the neutral that doesn't follow Barca every day, a lot of us really did forget that Coutinho is around. And... That's why he's in this list, because yes, we know what he's capable of, but <laughs> did we did we expect Coutinho to be stepping into a potentially pivotal role for this season back in maybe June or July, as I, as I visit my previous self? Hell no. But in the, in the time between those two dates, I mean, Messi's gone. Griezmann's gone. Fatty is being eased back. Dembele got an injury at the Euros that keeps him out for four months. Demir is 18. Gavi 17. Sorry, but this is the way they're going to have to go. They're going to have to look to Coutinho this season. And he's just played 60 minutes on his return. He wasn't great, let's be honest, but he hadn't played for absolutely ages. And in the last couple of games Barca have played, they've really lacked 
an ability to create incisive chances, a bit of cutting edge in midfield. If they're, if they're, if they're signing up for 54 crosses a game, fine, but that's obviously not what they want to do. And Coutinho then suddenly steps in as like, well, hang on a minute. He can actually be like a relatively pivotal player here, partly because there are no other options, but partly because you give him that opportunity because you know what he could be. And what's been the issue in the past for him? It doesn't feel like he's really ever fit with Messi or with Griezmann or whatever. They're all gone. This is carte blanche for Coutinho, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm very intrigued. I think it's important to remember that he started out quite well for Barcelona. Yeah, in the first okay. half season, he got 10 goals in 22 appearances. The next year, he got 11 and he made 54 appearances across all comps. It's not bad. They won, they won the title. You know, and then he obviously went out on loan to, to Bayern Munich, where he got 11 in 38. Like, this record is decent. Even, you know, in these last years where he hasn't really existed, as you say, you know, the record up to 2020, where he was on loan, obviously, at Bayern, is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that record. And it's a far better record than I think people give it credit for. You know, there's a lot of time that you say, saying, oh, Coutinho's Barcelona career has been a flop. And I think you'd have to suggest that. I think you have to say that it hasn't gone to plan. It hasn't worked out in the way that anybody dreamed that it might. But also when you actually look at his record up to last year, where it all really did sort of, he did actually get closed out and there was very, very little to, to write home about. I think he played 14 times across all competitions last season, which is frankly not enough. Um, but on the whole, you actually look at his Barcelona career and go, okay, Yes, it hasn't gone to the quiet extreme that you wanted it to. And yes, it hasn't. He hasn't fit with the with the team. He hasn't worked. It hasn't gelled with the system, et cetera, et cetera. But the numbers are okay. And now if he has that opportunity, as you say, where there is this kind of blank slate that there isn't too much going on. The only big, huge character here is Memphis now. The last, the last big character there in terms of playing an attacking role and wanting to do what he wants to do is Memphis. If Coutinho... And get in there and make something happen with Memphis. And especially, you know, we spoke at the start of this episode, obviously, about the fact that there might be new management. There might be a new course being plotted here for Barcelona in the very near future. Can he work his way into those plans? Because they're going to need people to rely on. And we talk a lot about the, the fact that this is a Barcelona side that needs to lean on its youth crop, right? It needs to lean on the likes of Araujo. It needs to lean on the likes of Dest and Pedri and... Frankie de Jong even, obviously a little bit older than the rest of these guys, but, you know, still very much in there. Gavi, Ricky Puj, Demir, even Callado, who I do still think might get a look in if new management comes through. Um, and then suddenly you're like, okay, you do need some experienced heads in here as well. And Coutinho is now an experienced head at this level. He's someone who you think, okay, you need to give him, you know, the space to create and thrive, sure. But also you can rely on him to you know, be there when that, when that comes up. And and I do think that we might see a, a really interesting year for Philippe Coutinho. Now, whether it goes down to success or not is a bit of a different question because how do you define success for Barcelona in this campaign? Uh, I, I think it's something that everybody's still trying to work out. But if Coutinho can get in there and be a key man as they just steady the ship, I think his reputation will go back through, you know, back back up to at least an even keel from a negative one. Yeah, I agree. And it will be very, very hard to ascertain exactly what, what is a success. Um, but it's not, as you say, his numbers have been relatively consistent throughout. And I think once he finds a little bit of sharpness, I think all he needs is a little run of games. And he'll probably just remind us that actually 
we used to call him the magician here, didn't we? And that, there's a there's a reason for that. At 29, he's certainly not washed, and having missed a bit of time as well, there might there might be quite a lot of might be quite a lot left in those legs. And you talk about all those young players, and it is just so important to supplement those with experience and with 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 guys who have been around and have played properly because as as enthralling and as as enticing as it is to throw Gavi in there from the start and have him play every game look we all want to see that but at the end of the day actually that's probably not the best thing to do is it no it's, it's almost certainly not you uh, no. you do need to, to to kind of just temper it as we say yeah. we use the word temper a lot this today but um temper hmm. that kind of youthful exuberance with a little bit of experience just yeah. to guide them through um and that's what well part of why it's such a big challenge to manage Barcelona right now and um, which takes us on to number three Sam yeah I mean so Coutinho was an eight on the shock factor scale by the way and uh, this next one in at number three is an eight and a half um mm. Shane Duffy centre-back <laughs> for Brighton and Hove Albion I think we'd all assumed that Brighton had outgrown Shane Duffy hadn't we by the summer of 2020 or something like that he'd obviously been a key man for Chris Hewton in a different style of play then his playing time dips really sharply under Graham Potter. And then he gets loaned to Celtic because Adam Webster, Ben White, too good, too often. And Lewis Dunk is the captain of the football club. And I mean, when you get loaned to Celtic um, in 2020 as well, in their actual down year, that should, that should have been it, I think. That felt like curtains. And Jack, I guess I need to throw to you and ask about the loan because I don't think he was even that good on loan at Celtic, was he? I was going to say, I don't think suggesting that a loan to Celtic is the end of your career is is a fair point. However, <laughs> Shane Duffy's loan to Celtic was a disaster yeah. from from like day one. Everyone was really excited as well. I remember the, you know, the general the general demeanor, the general kind of feeling around it was, this is good. This is the Ireland captain coming in to play for Celtic. That's good. You know, there, there there's a kind of some there's a kind of synergy there that all makes sense you know Celtic were light at the back and needed help and Duffy whilst not the best ball player in the world hence wasn't able to you know really fit in early doors with that Graham Potter system was a strong athletic set piece threat who was able to command a back line and justify I think selection you know even ahead of technically slightly more gifted players by leadership by the ability to to win challenges by heart and soul in some ways and it felt a little bit like that's what Celtic were lacking to be honest right they they were lacking a little bit of that instead it just went from bad to worse like it just kept getting worse and there was some Awful performances in old firms. You know, there's a lot of Rangers fans that tell you that Shane Duffy won them the title. Um, <laughs> that's not a good thing for an Ireland captain walking into Celtic to be achieving, right? Um, and and I think that when you put all that in context and you look at the end of it, and look, I remember watching Shane Duffy playing for Ireland last year and being like, come on, man, you can't even get in the Celtic team. We can't be playing Shane Duffy. He's been awful, but actually he also has always just turned up for Ireland and he's always been a part of that system. He always feels like he puts it on the line. There are certain players who just seem to play better from Ireland, for Ireland than they ever will for their clubs. James McLean, Shane Duffy. Um, but it, it does come to that point where you go, there was no way back for Shane Duffy in my head at Brighton. The, the, the game was gone. It was over. Mm. It was a question of which championship club are Brighton going to sell Shane Duffy to? That's where I was at. Yep. Uh, that's where I was too. Uh, Dean, before I continue, just uh, a quick, quick 
barometer from you. Did you expect me to go from Sandro Tonali to Felipe Coutinho to Shane Duffy? No, didn't see it coming, mate. Didn't see it coming. <laughs> but um, we, we keep you on it's your funny, toes. though, because, yeah. Do you know what, though? Like, let's say you expect him to go out. I think when you go out on loan and you have as bad a time as he had, um, it's actually sometimes a good thing. And you, and you come that, back. Man. You come back to Brighton and suddenly you're a familiar face. You you know what the whole um, work ethic is. You know what the plan is. And you can fit back into it very easily and you have even more motivation to do that. And by all accounts, like I spoke to someone that covers Brighton recently and, and he said it just feels like with Duffy that he just realises that like from reflecting on what happened at Celtic, what a good opportunity this is for him and like he everybody knew what he was capable of and it was just about getting back there um like yeah so i definitely didn't expect him to be talking about him here today but i think he definitely deserves <laughs> to be in the list um particularly when you look at brighton starts of the season we talked about small margins that were in place for brighton last season between having a poor season and a good season and you look at the kind of character that it takes within a team to have a good season and look when they lost Ben White I think a lot of people thought they'd go out and spend 30 million pound on a centre-back but you know they were pretty certain Graham Potter said all along like I'm not buying a centre-back I'm not buying a centre-back we're looking for a striker and um, didn't totally believe him at the time but I saw him repeat that recently actually he said no we, we genuinely never looked at one and maybe this is why yeah, I mean, he was pretty consistent throughout preseason as well. His comments were like, Shane Duffy started preseason really well. Shane Duffy's impressing in preseason. He's looking really good. He's come in. He looks familiar. He looks happy. So you can't call Graham Potter a liar, can you? Because he said it all along and then he was true yeah. to his word and then he repeated it later. But yeah, Ben White left. I think we all probably thought, well, going to have to buy someone else. And it's Duffy that's kind of stepped into this scenario and Bryson have started amazingly. You know, they've got four wins out of their first five games in the Premier League and they're up there mixing it, rubbing shoulders with Chelsea and United and Liverpool. And I get again, just to just to bring it back to the, the really surprising point here is that Shane Duffy is 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 not a particularly enterprising passing centre back. And Brighton are built on slow build up from the back. They're built on building moves with chaining together passes in, in a very kind of like Guardiola Tuchel kind of way. That's exactly who Potter takes his influences from. And it just never really felt like Duffy was that kind of centre back. And look, we're not saying that he's now slinging 50-yard Van Dyke switch balls or he's punching passes through the line in the way that someone like Eric Garcia does for for Barcelona. He's still, you know, 5-10 yards, but it's high-volume stuff. He's, he's handling the ball like twice as often as he is, has ever done in his career to date with any club, with any team, with any manager. He's, he's you know, he's playing 50-60 passes a game. You know, in his prime under Chris Hughton, he was playing 30. He had a loan spell at Yeovil where it dipped to 25. You know, we're talking about a very different role here. Even if it's just high volume, short, short distance. Mm. You, you, I just didn't think Duffy was going to be able to slot into this system ever again. And no. I was wrong. Yeah, we were all wrong. And, uh, and long may continue. Uh, long may continue. <laughs> long may continue scoring goals, winning penalties. Um, yep. And taking that form onto the international stage, because I said he's always better. So that means that when he goes onto the international stage, he's basically going to be prime Ronald Araujo, um, <laughs> which is which is great news for Ireland in in a time where there isn't much 
else going on. Um, right, <laughs> let's go on to number two, Sam. Number two is Thomas Lamar at Atletico Madrid, attacking midfielder. And this, was a, this is a nine out of ten on the shock scale. It's been a long time coming, Thomas Lamar, but he might just have an actual role at Atletico Madrid. Can you believe it? An actual role designed for him that he can fit into. I'm shocked by this, genuinely. He just feels like he's been such an afterthought for so long and such an awkward fit for Simeone for so long, despite costing so much money and obviously having so much talent. But, you know, Simeone's now using a 3-5-2 very regularly. That's got three centre mids. Coque is the one holding. De Paul is the one that's playing on the right-sided number eight spot. And Tom Lamar has been the best option that Simeone has used this season as the left-sided number eight. He's been really, really good. And I think... This is a nice convergence of potential roles for him. I think it's he's ended up falling into a position that kind of suits him because growing up, he was a 10. I think he had his heart set on being a central player, a number 10. But he spent the major first portion of his senior career on the left flank in Monaco's 4-4-2. He played on the left and Bernardo Silva played on the right in that wonderful Leo Jardim side that won the title uh, in 2017, I think. And Mbappe was up top with Falcao. Whoa, what a team. Um, but he's kind of merging that that left-sided role with a number 10 role and playing as the kind of left-sided number eight, playing in the half space. He's moving and drifting wide, linking with the left wing back quite a lot. He's pushing into the box. He started making a telling contribution on the score sheet as well. He's, he's scoring important goals and they've rotated their team quite a lot, Atletico, over the first stages of the season. The team is never the same and you know, it's an absolute toss-up as to whether Depau will play, Lamar will play, Trippier will play. I think Simeone's done a bit too much dropping players after good performances, to be honest with you. But if there's one player I could pick out that I think, oh, you really miss him today, it's it's Lamar or Depau. It's one of those two. It's one of those two. And Lamar's the one I think that's just like, you should have played him today. Like he, I think he's gone beyond. Oh, let's give him a game, see what happens. I think he's really important now. Yeah. I agree. And actually spent quite a lot of time thinking about this athletic side recently. And I think what was kind of important to, to look at is that when they haven't played him, they feel much less like a side that can can make get things done. And look, you only need to see what happened against Espanyol, right? Where Lamar mm-hmm. came on and not only did he score the 99th minute equalizer, which is nuts, frankly, um, <laughs> but also they just lacked that cutting edge without him and I think we saw obviously at the weekend against Athletic as well the fact that you know you're looking at good players in these roles we're talking about Rodrigo de Paul and, and Marcus Llorente who played in there in front of Condogbia at, at the base and they just suddenly didn't have the same effect that I think that they probably would have hoped to and look that's not taking away from Llorente he was so good last season you know we put him we you know had him pinned as Player of the Year in in Spain in La Liga, um, and and Rodrigo de Paul, as you say, is 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 a serious talent. But I do feel like when Llorente isn't on the right hand side, when he isn't playing as almost the wing back in that Trippier role, and it's not it's not been de Paul and and Lamar in front of whoever that holding midfielder is going to be, whether that's Coke, whether that's Condogbia, it doesn't really matter. When those two aren't playing as the kind of eights in this system, it feels like Atleti really really lack drive. And they've got this kind of strange mix going on at the moment where I think he's obviously trying to work out exactly how he plays. Simeone is trying to put in, you know, a wealth of attacking talent into a lot of slots. But also the fact that this rotation has been so 
visceral, if you will, and, and you mentioned it there, Sam, feels like he's not allowing them to build any momentum whatsoever. And I think the person who suffered from that most is probably Lamar, despite the fact that he's probably been Athleti's best player to start the season. <laughs> yeah, it does irritate me that, that Simeone has been has been rotating to such a degree. Now, maybe it's just like fitness niggles and he has to do it. But I've seen, I've seen a few players here like DePaul, Lamar, Trippier in particular. All three of those have been have been dropped and on the bench for the following game, um, despite playing really, really well. And yeah, I think there's a lack of rhythm to them. And the Espanyol game in particular, you know, Lamar steps onto the pitch with 20 minutes to go or something like that, just starts cutting them open left and right. Like he just... That goal was coming. It's great that he scored it, but if he, if it wasn't him, he was going to create it because he was punishing them. And that kind of impact is finally, finally starting to come through. This this man cost like 60 million euros or something like that. He cost a lot of money because he was a big talent. And he's been a bit of a disaster for the first two, three years of his athletic career. It's not all his fault. We know that there's a long trail of creative players who Simeone simply hasn't utilised to their full effect. So it warms my heart a little bit just to see him finally coming to the fore. And it feels like he's got his hooks into a position now and a role that he can really make his own and become a really impactful player. And despite the fact that they've signed Cunha and Griezmann, it might be a player they've had all along that ends up actually sort of just tipping the balance for them, which is a nice little story. Well, also, I mean, you get to that point. He's nearly made now as many appearances for Atleti as he did for Monaco, right? which is mad because he was so key for that Monaco side. Mm. And then suddenly he went to Atleti and he didn't feel like he was that key, but he made 43 appearances in his first year, 29 the year after, 36 last year. In those three years, he scored five goals. Five goals from Thomas Lamar in 108 appearances. That's not. That's not right. That's I mean, presumably weird. a lot of these are sub sub appearances and stuff. But sure, it's, sure. Yeah, but it's, but it's like, in and out, you know, but his yeah. impact, his impact just didn't really seem to add up to what the talent we knew. Now, that's not me saying that I think he's going to be a 15 goal player this season. I, I still think even from this number eight role, he's not going to reach those kind of numbers. But I do think he will be directly involved in a lot more. And I can imagine over the course of this year, Tom Lamar will double his athletic goal tally at the very least. Um, if he's given the time to to bed into this side, if he's not rotated constantly, I really do think that. I mean, it's not that big a shout. He's got five in the last three years. He's got one so far this year. Four more over the course of this season. He's there in all comps. I reckon we'll, I reckon we'll see it. But um, we should see it, it. It does feel like a, a moment of clarity that has, has, has taken its time to come. I think so, yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm delighted for him. This is a proper 9 out of 10, this one. Tom and Lamar just sort of stepping forward and going, oh, by the way, guys, I'm awesome. And you're like, oh. I'm a really good 8. What? I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Fair enough. That's new. Um, cool. Right, let's go to number one then. Yeah, number one is Trevor Chalaber, centre-back for Chelsea. And I say this even as someone who has, has repped Chalaber through his youth days at Chelsea, through the UEFA Youth League and the FA Youth Cups and someone who really did know what he was capable of. I am stunned that he is now a first team member at Chelsea. This is a 10 out of 10. Again, you take the, you take the concept, you travel back in time and tell me in June that Trevor Chalabar is not only part of the Chelsea team, but he starts the European Super Cup final and he wins it. And then he starts the first Premier League game of the season, having won Thomas Tuchel over and he scores in it and he drops to his knees and 
looks to be crying to be honest with you. he's overcome with emotion you know all of all of the summer we were we were looking at you know oh are Chelsea going to sign Jules Kunde you know they're, they're going for him they're going for him they want to they want to they've got personal terms agreed they want Jules Kunde they want to take this squad to another level Chelsea's track record in this area I know there's a bit of a, a difference with the Frank Lampard era but their general track record here is let's go and buy the 80 million centre-back let's 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 up the level of this squad a little bit more nothing pointed to this happening and yet Chalaber is, you know, he's, he's one of the centre-backs for, for Chelsea. And I suspect actually before Saul was signed on loan on deadline day that he was probably centre midfielder number four because that's what he did so well on loan at Ligue 1 as well. I mean, so well, he's, he's definitely a centre-back, but he's, he's got first-team experience at centre-mid as well. And I was like, oh, so he's like centre-back number five or six and probably centre-mid number four. Now, it's not a particularly glamorous role, but he's already put together a few appearances. He's got some minutes. He's already scored a goal. He's part of this team. And I think this is probably the biggest shock on this list because of Chelsea's track record, not because of Chalobah, and not really a reflection on Tuchel. But this this wasn't meant to happen. Like, they were meant to sign Jules Kunde And Trevor Chalobah, what happens to him then? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. I mean, Dean, you were all over that, that Kunde deal and the way that it all kind of panned out and how it, you know, felt like it was going to happen and then Zuma left and then suddenly it was all going and then it wasn't going and, and all of that. Has Chalibur's emergence played a part in that or is it just the fact that Chelsea weren't able to agree terms? It was just that they didn't agree to, uh, to sign him. Um, they were still going after Kunde despite um, Chalibur making himself part of the plans. Um, they had been open to letting Chalibur go on loan, like that had been the plan in pre-season, but he was so good against uh, Villarreal and Crystal Palace, was it? Um, that Tuchel made the decision that he didn't want to let him go. Like he, he wants to give people an opportunity to thrive when they show that they're up to reaching the standard. And, and that's what he did. But um, Kunde is more of a long-term vision sign-in. Um, basically, they're worried that Rudiger's going to leave. Um, it's a huge concern at the moment. They're trying to negotiate a contract with Rudiger and there's no breakthrough. And it's starting to be honest to look like Rudiger wants to leave, um, partially because he knows that there are clubs out there who would pay him a lot more money than Chelsea are, um, partly because he's always been open to playing in other leagues. But also, I think he know, he's he's shown his worth, Rudiger, and I think he feels that he's worth two hundred thousand upwards, um, and he wants Chelsea to to recognise that. But if if they do let him go, then they'll get Kunde. But then also, Chalaba does now get the year that Kunde is not there to to push himself further into Tuchel's vision because every single day is there at training, seeing what he's capable of. So even if he's not in the starting lineup doesn't matter too much because that's what Tuchel's got his eye on now and that's what Chelsea have their eye on it's always what's next what's next what happens when we lose this player what happens if he gets injured and Chalabas you know he's definitely emerged at a time when you didn't think there was any scope for a player like him in there that you thought they were just going to go for elite talent that was proven that they they had the caliber to go in there but that's not the case with him he's he's a guy that's just taken his chance yeah, even even going back to pre-season, like early pre-season for Chelsea when they were going through no disrespect for like the bottom the bottom rungs of the squad where they're looking at there's cycling in youth players and stuff like that for pre-season games. You got like Dujon Sterling was playing right center back in the back three with Callum Hudson-Odoi at right wing back. I remember we talked we're talking about that on one of our, you know, pre-season notebooks on our Patreon show. Uh oh, interesting little twist here, Dujon Sterling, academy product, you know, 
he's he's getting a look in at right centre back might be one to watch. There was there wasn't even like the slightest hint in pre-season, early pre-season, where these kind of players get a little look in that this was going to happen, which is why it's part part of why it's kind of floored me so heavily, but part of why I love it so much as well. Is there a case here to be just suggest that that Chalaba will rotate in for games that Tuchel sees as less strenuous, shall mm-hmm. we say? You know, obviously he's played 90 minutes against Crystal Palace. He played 90 minutes against Aston Villa. He was benched for Arsenal. He played two minutes against Liverpool and benched for Spurs and obviously didn't feature in the in the Champions League against Zenit. Is this just a, a case now that, and this isn't a dig and it's not even a particular criticism, is it that Chalaba gets his look-ins here in games that he can feel comfortable in? And in fact, it's probably a pretty good management to get, to get those look-ins in, a, in games that he feels comfortable in, in playing in and build him up to featuring in, in, in bigger games across the course of the season. I think so, yeah. I mean, you either pick the, the easier matchups, no just to respect to whichever opponent it is, um, or it's the, it's, the, it's the game that you play two and a half days after the really tough Champions League game because the TV schedules let you down or whatever it is they come up with. Yeah. Um, or it's, you know, a lot of home games where he's got the, the comfort of the home crowd and the support and those nice surroundings to make sure that he can actually bed in and, 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 and play in a team with great expectation on their shoulders. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a luxurious position to be in if you're Thomas Tuchel. He has six players that he can play at centre-back. He plays a game every three days. He has six players to, to to fit into three positions. It's what you want. And, nice problem to have. And one of them, one of them is a uh, is an academy prospect that the, the the home crowd absolutely adore and love. Yes, good, excellent. Well, shouts out to the second best Chalaba in Southwest London. Only <laughs> um, yeah, credit where it's due. Big Nat having his having his moment at Fulham as well. Right after the break, we will be looking at, of course, the medal of the week and the gibberish rankings. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for my favourite part of the week. And I don't know what we're going to do about this for the next couple of weeks, Dean. I might have to get you to voice note them in. Um, obviously, no one else is allowed to choose the melon, mm, which is... We the, could do that. Uh, yeah. You might have to just voice note them in for us. Yeah, I'll just spot melons around California and just tell you about things that I've seen people doing that are silly. Maybe. Absolutely. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Lazio goalkeeper Thomas Strakosha. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. And thank you for everyone that brought it to our attention. Um, I didn't see it live, but it didn't take too long for the DMs and, and the uh, mentions to start coming through to us um, saying, here you go, here's a melon. Yeah, it really was. Um, so Europa League game, Lazio were playing at Galatasaray. Um, Gala, Gala were looking to take the lead and basically just flung a hopeful cross into the box. Um, Lazio fullback Manuel Lazari. Well, it wasn't it wasn't great what he did to be honest. He kind of tries to clear it, I guess, um, but loops it up in the air and then towards his own goal. Um, so he's suddenly given his goalkeeper some work to do and. As it slices and, and comes down from the air, basically Strakosh has just got to catch it or push it away. Um, he kind of leaps and just pushes it into the goal. I don't even know how to describe what he does, but he makes an absolute mess of it. Um, he's distraught. He's absolutely distraught. I, I do feel sorry for him a bit, giving him this, because you could see how much it hurt him, the mistake that he's made. The Galatasaray 
my fans obviously going mad because they are nuts anyway. Um, so they're going crazy. As if that wasn't bad enough, it, it was the only goal of the game. Um, it's a disaster, really. And ultimately, it's just melanish behaviour from a goalkeeper. It is. Um, did you see some nice things from uh, the, the Lazio fans? I mean, famously, the Lazio fans have their issues. Um, but um, <laughs> this they unveiled a banner. They're good at banners, actually. Uh, that's yeah. They, I remember once talking about the fact that they unveiled one for uh, Francesco Totti um, when he retired. Obviously, the mm-hmm. eternal enemies, and he they wrote on the banner "Love and respect from your eternal enemies." And I was like, "Excellent, that's um, that's, that's good, good vibes." Yeah, that's nice. uh, this one, they uh, they put out a banner in the warm up for the game this weekend. Obviously, Strakosch didn't play. Pepe Reina was back in goal as he usually is. Um, in terms of well, who starts for Lazio in goal in the in the league, but uh, the the Lazio fan base unveiled a banner that is a quote from Dante's Divine Comedy. It just says, "Don't care about them, just look and go on." Um, and Strakosha, and he had his name on it. It was nice. Um, and then Strakosha burst into tears, um, and that Aww. had a, like a bit of a moment. And he's, you know, he came through <laughs> the Lazio Academy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's a homegrown player. He is, yeah. He's obviously, you know, someone who who takes it all very, very much to heart. And so for them to to unveil a banner like that, I thought was a real nice. Touch. I know, and it, and it is hard. Like, what do you do, Melon of the Week? Like, genuinely, like for that guy, it's one of the worst moments of his life. Um, so that's the problem, Melanie. I, I really don't want to like make fun of it too much because it is—it's awful. Like we've all made mistakes in five aside or eleven aside. You've missed a penalty, whatever it is, and you know how it feels just in that moment, and you feel like it's the worst thing ever. And really, for most of us, it's not. But for him, right there in the Europa League, given a chance, the club you've come through, like I oh, was, must have been devastated. But the fact is, it was a Melanish thing to do because it was quite a simple set catch. Yep, there you have it. it was, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep, sorry, Thomas, but uh, unfortunately, you are men of the week. The nice thing is that you, uh, well, you, you got a nice thing from your fans, which yeah, we all still a whole love lot, you. Uh, matters a whole lot more than we what, all what, love Dean, you, what Dean actually gives you in terms of melons. And um, right with that. <laughs> it's the gibberish siren. Um, it means it's time for the gibberish rankings. Yeah, Dean's on it again this week. Just kidding. Don't worry, Dean. I didn't send you a message. I think I stepped up again this week. It will be gibberish because there's nothing here. Yeah. Um, this week, I have decided to rank my top three flavors of Pringles. Now, I would like to be able to move into the, the food game more often on these, but there's such a cultural disconnect in terms of brands and different types of food across the world that I, I feel like some of them are quite hard because I a lot of the audience wouldn't know what we're talking about. This but Pringles, get a visceral reaction, mate. Pringles is a universal language, right? We all well, speak Pringle. We'll, we'll, we'll find out very shortly. Well, yeah, Pringles we'll know. Is a universal you look, language. You look. You already look angry. I'm petrified that you're not going to put the right flavour at the top of this, and um, and well, there could be war here. This could be it. This could be what rank, what actually breaks ranks FC. The big, um, the big schism, the big schism, the big, the big Pringle rankings of 2021 were actually where it all started to go wrong. Um, well, they'll look oh, back man. at this in years when when they're looking back at our careers and be like, "That's where it all went, Pete Tong for Ranks yeah, FC." When yeah. Sam started ranking Prinkle flavors on the eve of our one year anniversary, I've disbanded the podcast. Mm, right, go oh, on. Well, let's have it. Let's have it. At number three, I have placed Ready Salted for one main reason: I love salt. I love it so much. <laughs> yes. I think it's absolutely amazing. 
No I'm, one's ever put ready sorted crisps in the top three flavors of anything ever. I'm no, they can actually go in here. I agree with Sam. I, I, I actually, they're so good. They would they're definitely so, be in my top three. Moorish. They are so salty. They are yeah, so but, salty. And if you love salt, my God, my yeah. God. I love salt. There like, are times flavor. I've just licked them. I've just licked them <laughs> and thrown away the crisp. <laughs> Guys, I get told off at home all the time by Rach for putting too much salt on the dinner, too much salt on chips or whatever. We've got very different tolerance levels. Yeah, I, I have this argument with Lucy a lot. It's her that puts too much salt on. Yeah, so you're a wimp. Um, promise me. I promise you it's good stuff. Um, although I heard a rumour the other day, salt's it's bad, bad for, you. for you. Yeah, it's bad for you. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. mind it. I don't mind it in certain things. We're like, we have making fajitas the other day. At least we took salt on them. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't need salt on fajitas, you lunatic. I do like, agree with that. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd do that. Surely it's in the spice mix anyway. So yeah. And also like, you know, I was making a soy sauce kind of uh, noodle <laughs> and rice dish. I was like, you don't need salt in this. Soy sauce is basically liquid salt. Like <laughs> there, there's no need to put more salt in a soy sauce based dish. Um, but alas, right, I appreciate your love of salt. I also like salt, but. Yeah. I don't think I've ever put ready sorted in any top flavors list, but I'll accept it and move on. Okay. Number two is sour cream and onion. Mm-hmm. Bit stinky, yeah. very Moorish, well worth the price paid. I, I've learned over the years that my, my taste buds and my palates, obviously everyone's is different, but I, I, I must be attracted to these kind of like strong, sharp flavors because I, I love salt. Um, I love black coffee, like those like ridiculous dried out porcini mushrooms, like not mixed together, obviously, individually. Also, yeah, like, this but, is going to be uh, a hell of a cocktail. No, no, not, not together. Uh, and sour cream and onion, really powerful taste. A lot of people don't like it. I'm sure it puts a few people off, but not me. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I think you can appreciate this. I think they're the most, they're commonly liked, I would say, Pringles flavor. Uh, do you think? Uh, I think there's another yeah, one. Yeah, I do. Which I think I people would like more. I think... They're not on this list. Salt and vinegar. I think people like that more. So salt and vinegar Pringles are the best thing of all time ever. I'm not not just talking about Pringles flavors. I'm talking about like full stop. If you could, if I could only eat one thing and it wasn't like about nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, for the rest of my life, it would be salt and vinegar Pringles. Um, That's where I'm at. I am not that big a fan of the vinegar element. Oh, I love salt and vinegar. Love salt, salt and vinegar, anything. Salt and vinegar, anything. But Pringles in particular are so far and away the best salt and vinegar things, apart from those little uh, chipstick kind of... Uh, oh, yeah. The, yeah they're well nice sticks. too. But salt and vinegar Pringles are the best type of salt and vinegar crisps, and I'm a salt and vinegar crisp fiend. See, this, so, is, where, this is where Rach gets her revenge, because when we get fish and chips from the chip shop, she... She would, I think she'd take a bath of vinegar if it wasn't extremely bad for you. <laughs> like she douses the things in it. And I do struggle a little bit with that volume of vinegar. So you're right. Mm. It's a very, 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 very genuine salt and vinegar flavor in the Pringles. And that's why actually they're not quite for me because that vinegar element isn't good. What I've put at number one is another salt based <laughs> Pringle. It's the salt and pepper Pringles. Oh, it's the gray, the, the gray tea. I haven't had that. Which a lot yeah, of people won't have had. Find. And I haven't made them up. You know, yeah, they're real. Um, they're real. They've got a gray can. Yeah, it's like a silvery gray tube. Um, mm. I've seen oh. them in supermarkets in the UK twice in five years. Five oh. years. I always look, they're almost never there. Go on Amazon, try and buy them. You can't, they're out of stock, right? Go oh. on eBay you're paying a seriously inflated price. It obviously depends on supply and demand, but you can get one can on there for a fiver. Sometimes one can is a tenner. And I saw a deal, a deal on eBay earlier, three tubes for $30. 
I mm. mean, did you do just, it? No, God, no. The, pr- <laughs> the, the, the price of these alone speaks, it tells you how premium these are. And let me tell you, it's like, it's like the Moorishness of that ready salted times two. They're so, so good. They are so good. I absolutely adore them. And part of it well, is because they're so rare. I can't they find are, them. Yeah, that's what I mean. What you've done there is you, you, you've allowed rarity to come into the mix. If they were available every week, you wouldn't have them more often than the other two, I don't think. I'd it's have them more often you're actually ready salted because it'd be salt and pepper. I Maybe. think barbecue would still be my number one, though. Uh, I, I think salt and vinegar for me, one. Then probably, yeah, smoky barbecue. Nah, they're not, and guys, then, they're and not then, that good. And then maybe paprika. I actually really like paprika. They are quite They're pretty good. Um, They're pretty good. I had a look on the Pringles official website, by the way, just looking at all the other flavors. In the US, as usual, they are treated to so much more than us. We have about six or seven baseline flavors. You've got the three I've talked about. Actually, well, two of them. You've got barbecue. You've got salt and vinegar. You've got prawn cocktail. Cheese and onion, I think, is one of them as well. And paprika, yeah. And paprika. I look, look on that Pringles website. Ranch, rotisserie chicken, parmesan and garlic, buffalo ranch, Wendy's spiced chicken, mushroom and cream. Please, bu- somebody buffalo, tell buffalo me. Buffalo ranch. Dean, can you bring them back? Yeah, we, uh, yeah we I'm just thinking, do you reckon things? they'll survive the flight? How yeah, they're in a nice so, yeah. metal tube. They're, 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 they're flight-proof. Yeah, they should be flight. Okay, I'll bring some back. Can you bring me back a buffalo ranch? I don't really mind about buffalo the rest ranch. of them, but I really yeah, need back a we, buffalo we, ranch. Yeah, we want those. And also, I don't want you to bring them back because I'm scared of it. But can someone out there please tell me if the mushroom and cream ones, one, are real? Um, and two, are they as bad as they sound, despite the fact that I really like mushrooms and cream? Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's ever walked into a shop and be like, do you know what this needs? Mushroom and cream crisps. It's a bit like when Walkers <laughs> decided they were going to do like tomato ketchup flavored crisps. I was like, no one wants this, man. No, no mm. one is that interested in. And they're now doing takeaway flavored crisps. Now, don't get me wrong, like a sensations with like a Thai sweet chili. Mm. Um, but like, if you're, if you're talking, you know, a fish and chips, I'm like, there's one that's just salt and vinegar, isn't it? But worse. Um, and, and, and it just, they're, they're doing a lot of different things at the moment in terms of like trying to make takeaway flavored crisps. And I'm just like, look, man, crisps should stay as crisps. That's as far as it goes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Mm. We don't need ketchup flavored ones. Basically, just salt and vinegar, to be honest. And then uh, then, then I'll be fine. Um, That's all we got. Right. That's um, about all I think we've got time for. Um, Thank you very much, Sam, for that gibberish. Thank you very much for your main ranking. Uh, All that's really left for me to do is say thank you and goodbye for a while uh, to Mr. Dean Jones. Bye. See ya. Have a nice trip, DJ. Um, bring back some crisps. Bring back some crisps. Bring back some ranch sauce for us. Um, oh, yeah. Say yep. hello to the rank squad out there, and we expect yep. you to send us in some Melon of the Week contenders as voice notes. Okay. Okay. Maybe text me to remind me. I will All do. these things. But, All uh, these things. I hope the, say, I hope the flight isn't too bad in terms of, uh, in terms of the kids. Um, Maybe the Melon of the Week will be me for taking kids to California on a 12-hour flight, whatever mm. it is. I think it might yeah. be. Um, thank you very much, Sam Tai. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Dino, enjoy see- CPK. Enjoy your, enjoy your holiday. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll I'll get see you pictures. next week, Sam. Uh, we'll have some guests. It's all very exciting. We're going to have some uh, some special friends on while Dean's away um, to, to try and spice things up a little bit while, uh, while we're down to two. Um, and I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Ranks FC podcast. Thank you so much, as ever, for listening. And we will see you next week or, of course, on Friday and Monday if you're part of our Ultras community on Patreon. We do promise you it's great fun over there. Um, and we'll be continuing to put out two extra episodes a week all the way through this season. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. Peace.